In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, sponsored by Anderson Hauser a global leader in process, automation, and measurement instrumentation. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. For flow, level, pressure, analytics, temperature, recording, and digital communications. One of the reasons they are such a good fit for this HSE podcast is because they optimize processes in terms of not only economic efficiency, but safety and environmental impact. Their customers come from various industries, including chemical, food and beverage, life sciences, power and energy, primaries and metal, oil and gas, and water and wastewater. With almost 14,000 employees worldwide and more than 7,800 patents and patent applications, Endress and Hauser truly is people for process automation. Check them out at www.endress.com. Okay, today we're doing another remote broadcast because, well, you know why. Like everyone else, we're trying to do our part in the battle against this COVID-19 pandemic by practicing our social distancing. So today I have on the phone with me, Benjamin. Okay, folks, if you're aspiring to be a uh, <laughs> podcast host, let me tell you, don't have a guest on your show and you can't even pronounce his last name. Benjamin, what is your last name? It's Nusma. Nusma. Okay, well, that's not quite as hard as I thought it was. N-I-E-U-W-S-M-A, Nusma. Okay, so Benjamin, I got to know what kind of name is that? So it's actually Fries. So in Holland, you know, the Dutch tend to a little bit, how would you put it, slightly snooty, you know, nose in the air. Well, the, the Fries were kind of that to the extreme. And so, yeah. It, but you're not going to be a snob on the show today, though. Oh, oh completely. I'm a total snob. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, now what you are, Love what Dutch you are, awesome. <laughs> what you are is the founder and CEO of, and I don't even know how to pronounce your company's name. Navigo. Navigo. Okay. Navigo Incorporated. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So Benjamin, I'm looking at your website, Navigo slash Inc. Navigo dash Inc. Dash Inc.com or Inc.com. And on the website, I'm looking at your website. It says that your company is about community to global level risk assessment, scaled communication, and emergency management. So we've got a lot to talk about in just a short time. Where do you want to start? Oh, wow. Well, so far, you know, we have an intelligence communication aspect to what we're doing. And so, you know, obviously we've been following the coronavirus pretty acutely, but we've also been helping organizations, you know, kind of monitor their folks, stay in touch, understand what the situation on the ground is. And then, you know, in some cases they have to get them back home. So... It's been an interesting few weeks. Oh, it's been an interesting few weeks for all of us, that's for sure. So what has been most interesting on your part? So I'm an engineer. So in a funny way, a lot of what's been interesting to me is looking at the data, looking at the trends of what's happening, and with my team building out some of these different risk models, because what we're seeing from people is that there's a disconnect between what the true risks are and the true threats are, and then 
what their personal risk is. And so there's a lot of discussion in the media about the dangers of what's going on. And there are plenty of human interest stories. But when you actually look at the numbers behind it, I think that people have, you know, people have a good reason to actually take a deep breath, you know, be careful, but don't panic about this. From a numbers perspective, we're in a good spot. Well, as a matter of fact, at the top of your website, you've got a special note about COVID-19. It says, please check out our COVID-19 specific tools to help people and organizations understand their personal risks regarding the coronavirus pandemic. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we've spent some of our time and effort on recently is helping people and organizations understand what does coronavirus actually mean to them? So which of their people are at risk? Where are they at risk? And, you know, what's the likelihood of catching coronavirus if they're sick? How likely is it that they actually have it? And what a lot of people don't realize is that the statistical probability of catching it even with how many cases we have in our country today, is very, very small. And this isn't to say that, you know, we espouse just, you know, go break your curfew, you know, that kind of thing. We certainly support you following your, you know, leaders and and policymakers, you know. But at the same time, I think if people actually understand what this means for them, it's incredibly comforting. (laughs) Because, A lot of people feel like, you know, well, if I step outside, I'm going to die. And the answer is, well, no. Well, the bottom line is, and I want to come back to something that you said in just a minute, but it's if you get coronavirus, it's not a death sentence like, for example, the Spanish flu in 1918. There were people, perfectly healthy people who contracted the Spanish flu. And in a matter of 12 hours, they were dead. And that was very common, apparently. And I've heard of some serious cases regarding this coronavirus and some speedy type consequences. But for the most part, you have a good chance of survival if you aren't compromised in other areas, right? That's correct. Yeah. If you're healthy and you're not, you know, in your 80s or something like that, I mean, your chances of survival of this are very, very high. And part of the things that's challenging is from an epidemiological standpoint, when there's a new disease or outbreak, the way that they initially calculate the fatality rate is based on the confirmed cases and then the percentage of those cases which end up in fatality. The challenge has been that in this case, if we're only testing the people who are sick, then we end up with a very skewed fatality number because there's such a large population of people with either light cases or asymptomatic. So if you think of how you calculate the fatality rate for the flu, for example, they know that the flu is about 0.1% fatal. But the way that they actually do the calculation is very, very different based on the body of research on the overall caseload in the community. So for example, As of a couple of weeks ago, we had about 1,078,000 tests that were sent out for the flu and 222,000 positives. And then trying to remember the, the latest number, it's somewhere in the tens of thousands of fatality from the flu, right? Let's just say it's 20, for example. So if you take your 20,000 fatalities out of 222,000 positive tests, 
you would end up with a calculation equal to about a 10% give or take fatality for the flu. But we know that isn't the case because we know the denominator, generally speaking, in the population. And so the number that everyone's missing currently in our population is the denominator of how many people are actually infected or have, you know, antibodies showing that they have immunity to the disease, that will give us an understanding of the actual caseload in the community. Well, isn't that one of the reasons they call it novel COVD-19? Because they don't know who has the immunities and the antibodies already in their system, or they assume that we don't have them currently. Yeah, there's a lot of assumption that basically nobody has them. Thankfully, I think there are some tests coming out fairly soon, which should be able to shed some light on this. You know, but that's where, again, if people can understand the numbers, even the numbers with the assumption of higher fatality, if they actually look through their chances, and that's what our tool does. We produce this, you know, this personal assessment and you answer, you know, 16 pretty simple questions. You can do it on your phone. It's completely anonymous unless your organization sends it out. If they had us send it out, then the results go to them of, you know, who's sick and and who's at risk, et cetera. But aside from that, it's completely anonymous and we'll give you a personalized score. And for like 99% of folks, it's pretty reassuring. Well, that's great. In fact, that was what I said I wanted to go back to a while ago. You said just because you step outside your door doesn't mean you're going to contract the disease. Have they determined, I think you said it's not that contagious. Well, that contagious compared to what? Like other things like Measles. going back to this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. I mean, there are some hyper contagious things. We don't fully know the R not of this just because we don't know the caseload. We do know confirmed in a bunch of areas now. And so, you know, the estimates of R not also, they're not a constant because it depends on immunity in a population. It depends on, you know, who's gotten it and is now better. It depends on social interactivity. And that's something also that we have data analysis that can show the different levels of interactivity by different kinds of jobs, for example. So there are certain jobs that have a high level of interactivity. And so for those people, it's going to put them in contact with more folks, which then, of course, you know, the more people you interface with, you have an increased risk of catching something. So, but even there, you know, for your average person, you know, if they're practicing appropriate hygiene, they end up in a pretty good spot. Well, you said that you could do this right off of your phone. And as a matter of fact, I'm on my phone right now. So I click the little icon at the top of your website. And when you do that, immediately the screen comes on and it says COVID risk assessment. And the title is how likely am I to catch Mm COVID-19 and what can I do to limit my chances? This short assessment combines data from a variety of sources to help you determine your risk of getting COVID-19. If you feel sick, it also helps determine whether you have the virus or are experiencing a different illness. So take the assessment. So you punch the button there, says this assessment is completely anonymous and you begin this assessment. And as you said, there's 16 questions beginning with where do you live? I actually went through and and took the assessment. I remember your age category, of course, was one factor and there were other things. So it comes back and 
as I recall, is it like high, low, in between? Yeah. So for your risk of catching the disease, we give you a statistical number. And for a lot of folks, it's like, you know, one out of 10,000. For some of them, it's, you know, one out of 100,000. Your risk of catching it is really low. And that makes sense if you think about it, because we have 330 million people in the U.S., and we've got, what, a few hundred thousand who are sick with this. So your risk for today is low. Now, if that number increases to many, many millions, obviously, then your risk on a daily basis would go up. Well, sure. Right. But then there's the other question, which is, what does this mean to me? You know, so what's your potential susceptibility? And then we rate that on several different levels, you know, lower risk, medium, higher risk and high risk. And for those different levels, even if we rate you in a high risk category or the medium risk, in a lot of situations, the statistics are still very much on your side for, you know, for survival if you get a case of it. But it helps you understand, too, you know, kind of how serious this would likely be. And, you know, the media has had different stories lately where they'll find, you know, somebody in their 30s or they'll find some kid who's come down with a bad case of it. And those are very fine from a human interest standpoint. We're looking at as a preponderance of the statistics, and that's the analysis that we're focused on. So, you know, this isn't to say that it's impossible for a little kid to get a bad case of it, but the caseload that our little kids are almost non-existent, right? Right, exactly. So from a personal standpoint, I can take this assessment just to, again, understand it for my own sake. You don't sell this information to anybody. You're not going to try to sell me anything. That's correct. Yeah. On the other hand, you mentioned if an organization, there is some value, an organization might request this for their employees as a tool for them to come up with a risk management plan or whatever. Correct. Yeah. So what we can do with this is that we can set up a specific version for an organization, and then this will return the results into our system. And in that case, we don't ask for any contact info for the people, but we do ask for their name, their first and last name. And so this allows us to provide the organization with kind of a real-time updated dashboard of what's going on within their organization from an assessment perspective. So if they have a certain percentage of their folks sick, This will show them that this will show them, you know, what statistically, what is the risk profile of their overall workforce? You know, so for small companies that have, you know, just five or 10 people, there's not going to be as much value to that. But for a very large company, there's a lot more value or for example, for healthcare providers, if they have, you know, I mean, we had one doctor with 900 patients. And so getting a picture of where all of the patients are from a risk perspective and a susceptibility perspective, that's actually pretty valuable because it allows them to take and triage around the high risk people. So if someone wants to take advantage of this, really, we already mentioned your web, they can go to the website and everything, they can navigate through the website and make contact with you, make contact with your company, take advantage of any of these resources. Is that correct? That's correct. And then also we'll paste in the show notes your LinkedIn profile so that anybody wants to contact you via LinkedIn can do that. I want to just in the last few minutes here, I want to 
tiptoe into some economic risk analysis. <laughs> some scary waters here, okay? All right. <laughs> some other information that you guys have put together is kind of, and this is a question that people are asking, and I'm just trying to provide people with tools and resources since they, they wonder about these sort of things. You have some other, not just what we're talking about, COVID-19 risk assessment, but you have some, some other data that relates to not just the physical health aspect, but also to the economic impact. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. For a lot of folks, the, the question that's being asked is, is the cure worse than the disease? And so, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when we talk about the economy, the assumption is, is that, okay, you're just talking about money. We're actually talking about people's lives and we're talking about time and we're talking about finite work. And so when you do something like shutting down parts of your economy, which affect Main Street, it's different than Wall Street. With Wall Street, the money moves around. So when the market goes up, a lot of people put money into the market. When the market goes down, people took their money out of the market. And obviously, it's more nuanced than that. But by and large, the market is simply people buying and selling things that work has gone into to produce. And so in the case of doing something like shutting down a part of your economy is very different than the stock market going up and down. And that's because work is what creates money. And so if the work isn't done, if the value isn't created, then those are dollars that actually vanish. They don't move to the sideline. They don't go to other people. They disappear. And so when you look at a state like Texas, for example, and you look at the economic impact of the current shelter-in-place policy, what you see is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of loss on a daily basis. And this is very personal to people because we can actually model this on a county level where you've got, you know, for like Anderson County, you've got somewhere between, you know, five and 10 jobs being lost a day, right? Based on the economic policy. And one of the challenges with this is the secondary impacts that are connected with economic loss like this. So unemployment it's able to be tied to, for example, suicides. And so when we create a situation where people have a lot higher chance of losing their job than they have of catching the virus right now, you end up with people who are frustrated and hopeless. And so one of the things that there've actually been some leading articles about, you know, 300% increases in the suicide hotlines and what that equates to for a state like Texas is that you end up with significant amounts of increased suicide. And oddly enough, it's not necessarily the places that have the coronavirus cases. And, you know, same with your economic loss. So you have counties that will see additional suicides, but they don't actually have any they don't have any cases of coronavirus and they'll see economic loss and job loss and, you know, including women and minority owned businesses. You're going to see a whole bunch of those on a daily basis going out of business. And in a number of situations, this includes counties where they're actually, you know, we're not talking about even fatalities. We're talking about no 
current confirmed cases of coronavirus at all. And so I think the numbers are incredibly enlightening, a little bit frightening. And so, yeah, so one of the things we can combine with our overall risk analysis is, you know, economic risk analysis, which can be used for resource allocation and company planning and, you know, organizational resiliency purposes. Okay, well, that's great. And again, all this can be found on your website. Yeah, the economic analysis is not something that we have released publicly yet. Oh, it's not? It's not. So you have to contact us for that. Contact you for that in order to get that. Okay, Benjamin, we really appreciate this and we really appreciate the work that you're doing. We thank you for coming on the show as we wind this thing down. Uh, We are the uh, Health, Safety, and Environmental Podcast. A lot of times we try to end our shows with some kind of safety tip of the week, and that might involve some particular practice that you always preach, or it might be an illustration of something that someone does to be safe, or unfortunately, and this is what we are hoping we don't create as we talk about this COVID-19 thing. We don't want to create despair in people so that they're calling the, the suicide hotlines, but we've all seen some tragic things happen because people weren't practicing safety rules and regulations. Do you have anything like that that comes to the top of your head? Yeah. So, I mean, we combine a lot of the digital and physical security, but the example that I think of is actually way back when I was working a job as an assistant network administrator for a university, and someone had created a folder in our IT department, and they hadn't set adequate protections on the folder, and it, it only took about 45 seconds to be hacked. And so that was an eye-opening moment for me where I realized, you know, just how quickly (laughs) something can be compromised if it's not adequately protected. Yeah. And how you don't think about these sort of things. You know, I remember I wasn't actually on this rig, but I knew people who were on this rig and there was a problem in the middle of the night. They had to wake up the company man and the company man, you know, is going to run up there and he's going to you know, take care of it real quick. And so he throws on his boots and he runs up to the floor and he forgets to grab his hard hat and something fell on top of his head and he was killed, you know? So so folks, we want you to be safe out there. All right. So stop and think that's probably the safety tip of the week. Stop and think about what you're doing and about how quickly something can turn on you. All right. Thank you again, everyone. And please tune in next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement, instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser at cx.endris.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. Follow us on LinkedIn at Anderson Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endris underscore US. And you don't have to remember all that. You can simply find it in the show notes. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. See you next time. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. 
we have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.